You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. So we're in week two of a sermon series, Rebels with a Cause. Uh, Rewind with me, I'm fresh out of Northwestern where I graduated from, living in Arkansas, doing community development work there. And what I quickly found out about Southern culture that I was doing development work in a variety of communities, what I found out about this culture was they didn't have a lot of coffee shops, they had barber shops. So you didn't just go to get your hair cut at the barber shop, you went there to hang out. And more than that, the barber really had an elevated status in the customer's life. The barber was entrusted with sending someone out with a confident, fresh new look. And similarly, we talked a little bit about this last week in Romans 12. Our God wants to send us into this world with a confident, fresh new look. But he doesn't want to just change our haircut. He wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to unconform us. We looked at this passage last week. Five verbs. Two of them are passive. Unconform and transform. These are passive verbs, meaning we are being acted upon. God is doing the action. He wants to unconform and transform us. This week, we're going to talk about this ball that God puts in our court. This active verb where we are called to actively engage in this relationship with our great God, we are called to present ourselves, to offer ourselves, as some translations say. For me personally, I go to Cost Cutters and Sioux Center, fun fact for the day. When I go to Cost Cutters and get my hair cut, I actively present myself to my barber. I offer myself. I'm actively showing up, but she does the action. She cuts my hair. And so some of you might be skilled enough to cut your own hair, but you are not skilled enough to unconform and transform yourself into the image of Jesus Christ. Only God can do this. But here's the good news. God doesn't expect you to do this. All he expects of us is this responsibility tied to this word to present ourselves. And it says present our bodies. We in our day today in the English language, we think bodies, physical material, but the word is soma in the Greek language, which is an all-encompassing term. It's not just our physical material selves. It's our all-encompassing, all the substance of who we are. We're to offer all of ourselves to God as a holy and living sacrifice, it says. And so for us today, this term sacrifice, it doesn't do much to us. It doesn't trigger and evoke much in us because we're not in a sacrificial system, rhythm, and culture, but in the time that Paul wrote the Romans letter to the Romans church, this was a sacrificial system culture, all right? As common as Sunday NFL football is in our American culture today, the sacrificial system was that common. And so for them to have this letter about sacrificing themselves as a living sacrifice, it would have evoked this thing, this thing called an altar. Pictured on the screen, an altar was a place where you put an animal to be sacrificed, oftentimes a lamb. It was presented. It was offered on the altar. It was killed, its blood shed. It was often burned as a burnt offering, consumed and destroyed by the flames. These flames representing judgment 
as this judgment consumed this substitute that absorbed the right just judgment for the sins of a person or people group. That's what the sacrificial system was all about. That's what the altar was about. But this is historically distant, culturally foreign to you and I today. It doesn't evoke much in us, but be sure that it evoked much for the Romans that heard this. Romans 12, holy sacrifice, living sacrifice. They, their nostrils would have had memory of smelling the burning of animal flesh. Their forearms would have remembered the ashes of the sacrifice that fell through the, through the wind that fell and touched their arms. Their minds would have been seared with the memory of an animal literally being burned and consumed. This is vivid stuff, but it's foreign to us. We don't do this anymore. Why? Because Christ He came, he was the once and for all perfect and complete sacrifice. John 1 says he was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is good news. God, Jesus, presented himself up on that cross, the ultimate altar. And so when Paul says to present all of ourselves as a living sacrifice, it evokes this notion, let's pretend this is our altar, we gotta get ourselves up on the altar, so to speak. And yet Christ's death cannot be added to and you can't take anything away from it. The mercies of God, this holy and acceptable nature. We present ourselves, this phrase, it's sandwiched between God's mercy and this reality of holy and acceptable. The reality is, is it is truly only by God's mercy that we can even have relationship with God. We can't undeserve it. We don't deserve it. And in so many ways, it's God's mercy that invites us into relationship with God in our holiness and our acceptability before a holy God. We can't achieve any of this on our own, but we are called to respond to God's mercy. We are called to root ourselves in this reality that when we put our faith in Christ, we are grafted into his acceptability and his holiness, but sandwiched between God's mercy and his holiness and acceptability imputed in us, this new identity is this invitation, this active verb, we are called to get up on the altar. Raiders, we got to live our lives on the altar before our holy God. Let's think about this a second. Heard the story, uh, there was a gentleman, he was a high wire performer. He put up a high wire above Niagara Falls and he walks across it. The crowd goes wild. There's thousands of people gathered. He comes back to where he started and he says, hey, Do you guys think I can do this again with somebody on my shoulders? Everybody goes crazy. And then he goes, I'm looking for a volunteer. And everybody goes silent. (laughs) And then he had his assistant plugged in in the crowd. His assistant comes out. He puts his assistant on his shoulders. And sure enough, he makes that same high wire walk across Niagara. Everybody goes crazy. You know, the assistant really didn't do anything but present himself offer himself because this high wire performer did the unthinkable and God wants to do the unthinkable in us. He wants to conform us. He wants to unconform us and transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ, it says in scripture. He wants to do this unthinkable thing and he simply asks us out of the passivity of spectating and into the active involvement of like that assistant presenting all of ourselves to him, presenting our bodies 
our all-encompassing substance, and in many ways, to present ourselves to God is to give up control. And did you know that this is the highest form of trust? To get up on this altar is the highest form of trust, and this highest form of trust is our highest, most spiritual service or act of worship. We sing a lot as the Northwestern community, but our songs themselves are not necessarily worshipful to God's ear. Read the book of Amos. There's some hard stuff in there. Our songs can be a beautiful means to express worship to a holy God, but God is worshiped only when we trust, when we get up on the altar. This is our highest form of worship. And so when we sing from a heart posture of surrender, of coming into a space like this and literally allowing our entire selves to be on the altar before our God, that is what worships him. And let's not just pick on our singing. Let's think about reading scripture in the company of others. Let's think about praying together in the company of others. These things, if they are not if from a posture of giving up control, of living life on the altar, I'm gonna say this word of, of warning, it, they can turn quickly into phony displays of only appearing godly and just sort of feeling the warm fuzzies about ourself. Okay? And so in the words of Park and Rec, Yes, you should treat yourself once in a while, but we need to check ourselves, right? Did that land? Park and Rec fans out there? Okay. So you got to check yourself. You got to check yourself to make sure we are living completely surrendered on the altar that God calls us to live life from. This truly is our worship. This is why Paul, when he uses this word urge, he says, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, live in the freedom of presenting your lives because in so many ways, this really is your only capacity and capability and calling in life is to present your life to God. And there's a big difference between letting God lead your life and asking God to help you sort of be in control of your life. This is an easy thing to do. God, would you just help me? And you already got your mind made up. And I was caught in this cycle. I'm being fully transparent. I graduated from Northwestern. I jumped about three jobs in a year, ended up with a dream job living in Colorado Springs, started dating a coworker, was on track to get my MBA. My future was clear and my vision was sure. I was climbing 14,000 foot peaks on the weekend, which apparently is slightly more exciting than climbing to the top of VPH on campus. Just life was good, just fun fact. Um, but in a matter of about two months, I lost my job, I got laid off. I couldn't find any work in Colorado, so I ended up going back to Minnesota where I grew up, working carpentry, not even utilizing my degree or education in any way. It's fresh off this breakup with this girl. One of my best friends, I was the best man in his wedding, family member of mine, newly married, on the verge of divorce. I was in the midst of that heartache. I opted out of this MBA program, lost all sense of vision and clarity for my career and future tied to my job, and I was living in my parents' basement. And to top it all off, my family, they thought it was funny at Christmas, they bought me the movie Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey. It's about a middle-aged man living in his parents' home. I was really feeling the love, let me tell you. And I took it in stride and I laughed about it, but I'm really, if I'm really, really honest, like I felt more lonely with the people that love me most. Has anybody ever had that feeling? It was tough. I was toe to toe with the clutches of some despair, anxiety, and fear like I'd never carried before in my life. 
I was asking God every day, God, would you help give me the power to control this fear and despair and anxiety that I feel? But the more I asked for God to help me control this stuff, the more I actually spiraled. And I remembered desperately screaming at the Lord in my car one day, having a prayer conversation with him. And I finally felt this gentle nudge from God. It was almost as if he was saying, Mark, stop asking me to give you the control to manage your anxiety and fear in this moment and start just giving me your whole self, your anxiety and your fear and all of you. Don't ask me to help you put yourself on the altar. And I didn't realize it then that he was asking me to put myself on the altar. I didn't realize it then that he was really asking me to present myself, to check myself, to present myself, right? But now I can name that. I can see that through Romans 12. That's exactly what he's doing. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I did give it to him for maybe the first time. I've been walking with Jesus for a lot of years prior to that, but that was maybe the first season of my life where I said, you got it. God, I am going to get up on the altar. I'm going to give you control. I was in a place of desperate dependence. And though my circumstances didn't dramatically change, the amount of freedom and peace walking in it dynamically changed night and day. You might be saying, oh, Mark, that's warm fuzzy. That's neat. Way to go, buddy. You are a good friend, right? You might say some of that. Thank you. Um, but living life on the altar, it's not all warm fuzzies. It's hard work. It's difficult in our human flesh. We're so prone to grasp our life with control. And I think there's three H's I've come to discover that I've wrestled through as I try to live life on the altar. The first, I'm going to call it the Heisman. Football fans out there, wow, right? Heisman, one foot on the altar, one foot really still living in a sense of control. I'm sort of still trying to manufacture my own control in some ways. It usually sounds a prayer like this. It, it has a but in it, okay? Lord, I want the career path you want for me no matter where you lead me, but sometimes I kind of, maybe it'd be nice if you would you know, give me a job that would impress people or maybe even put quite a bit of cash in the bank. God, I'll go wherever you lead me, but can it be somewhere maybe a little more exotic than Northwest Iowa, maybe even more warm? That'd be kind of nice. Jesus, I trust you that you're enough, and whether I'm married or single or whoever you bring in my life and your timing, I trust you in that, but I, I kind of want that special someone right now, okay? So I'm going to text you and Snapchat you in my top 10 list, right? This is the Heisman where we're kind of, there's a but. We qualify our prayers. We're bargaining with God. We're still trying to maintain control. There's sneaky expectations driving our prayers more than surrender. Well, here's the good news. Even when we start putting ourselves where we think we're telling God what's best for our lives, God, he's so merciful and he invites us out of that Heisman place and into a full surrender. He's merciful to invite us into the freedom of that. Second, the half-hearted the half-hearted. This one is sneaky for me, and I usually don't realize it until I'm down the road a little bit, but it's, it's where I sort of surrender something, and then all of a sudden, I, give me a week or, or two weeks, and all of a sudden, I'm completely worried about that thing I surrendered. Anybody with me? Not just like blips of worry, like you are worried about it, cycling and worry. It likely shows you that you were half-hearted in the first place. You had reservations in the first place, but God is so gracious. He wants to gently remind you of the freedom of what it means to be fully surrendered. Hot-footed, this one I, I, I stink at. I get hot-footed a lot, hot feet, right? Impatience, we are a fast culture, a busy culture, a time-sensitive, clock-driven culture. We often are not even aware of the subconscious that we surrender ourselves and get up on the altar, 
but it actually has this like sneaky subconscious chronological expectation that it's got to happen on your timeline. But I'm mindful of Jesus. No person had more of an important life and he waited 30 years before he started doing ministry. And then as soon as he has this amazing inaugural baptismal moment to launch him into ministry, 40 days in the wilderness. Crazy. Jesus says in John, I never do anything on my own initiative. I only do what the Father in heaven leads me in. Paul says love is patient. doesn't demand its own way. Nobody embodied that better than Jesus. Jesus reminds me, don't get half feet. Live in surrender. God doesn't react to our timelines. He is so merciful. He's patient with our impatience. He's faithful with our half-heartedness. He's gracious when we get hot feet. And when we do the Heisman, God loves to invite us back to the freedom of full surrender. Raiders, are you living your life on the altar? And here's the thing. It's easy sometimes to think, all right, I need to get on the altar for like the big decisions. All right, I got those big decisions, those big life trajectory changing kind of decisions. I'm going to get on the altar for those things. But sometimes we forget that God, he, he wants all of us. He wants the most ordinary circumstances. He wants all of our emotional responses. He wants even our attitudes. He wants all of us. He wants those things on the altar too. And if you're anything like me, it's sometimes easy to sort of forget the attitude and just be this like circumstance happens, I have an emotional response. My emotional response drives back into my circumstances and that's the cycle of life. And you might be thinking, I'm not an emotional person. Yeah, you are, you're a human being. You just might be really good at suppressing your emotions. Some of us express, some of us suppress. We're all emotional, we're human beings. But emotions and circumstances, we can get enslaved into this cycle. But what's important is to recognize not just the emotion that we carry with us in life, but the fact that we carry an attitude with us. And our attitudes often act as a filter for how we're gonna handle our emotional responses. We gotta get to that next level, our attitudes. Our attitudes are often grounded in how we see ourselves and what we believe we deserve. Story about when I uh, didn't have the greatest attitude. I was, it was July. My wife and I are back from about a 10-day camping trip with our eight, seven, and three-year-old. It was not a vacation, but it was a great memory-making trip. I did not come back rusted, okay? Seven-hour trip. We finally pull into the driveway. It was a delightful seven hours, let me tell you. We get into the house, um, open up, unlock the door, get into the house, and there is the most rancid smell my wife and I have smelled maybe ever. And we thought there was something dead maybe in the HVAC system. About a minute later, my wife opens up the fridge door. Oh, we quickly realized our fridge and freezer flopped on us. Meat and, they, I mean, it was, it was really bad. And I remember in that moment not exactly wanting to put that circumstance up on the altar. My emotional response wasn't very impressive. And it definitely showed where my attitude was at. In so many ways, I had an entitled attitude. God, I deserve a certain homeostasis after such a sacrificial trip for my family. How could you do this, right? Like my attitude was entitled and it affected my emotions and it affected my ability to present those circumstances. But God's a good God. He's working on me and he loves to work on all of us and invite us back to the altar. Fast forward a couple months from this fridge situation. Uh, similar trip, we are out of my in-laws, five-hour trip back to our house. We're four of the five hours back home, and all of a sudden, thunk, 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 flat tire. I get out, I'm starting to get my jack, and it's kind of an excuse for me to have like this moment of prayer, 
to like gather myself because I'm feeling those same frustrating emotions that were triggered by the fridge situation rise up in me. But this time was different. I literally remember just being like, God, I give you this. In circumstance, I give you this emotion. Show me my attitude, I give you my attitude. It's about all. And I'm not kidding you guys. Like it, it, it was, yeah, it kind of stunk, but it was, I felt seen, I felt peace. I really felt like in that moment, I was able to give God the circumstance, the emotion, and the attitude. And here's what I wanna sort of hypothetically run by you, not to say that this has ever happened, but let's say you have a conflict with your roommate, okay? It's one thing to baby step, step to present the circumstance. God, I give you this conflict I'm experiencing with my roommate. That's a good thing. A sizable step is to present your emotional response of anger or whatever emotion you're having. But I think it's a giant leap to get underneath the emotion to our attitude. God, I give you my hard-hearted, prideful, defensive attitude that's leading to that anger in the midst of this circumstance. Raiders, it doesn't matter if we've been walking with Jesus for a day or a lifetime. We are called to present ourselves, to offer our bodies day in and day out to the Lord. We all bring in our human sinfulness and flesh. We bring self-centered, self-protecting, jealous, superiority complexes, wallowing in self-pity, controlling and manipulative attitudes. You can name it in a lot of different ways. We carry these attitudes into this relationship with God, but he's so merciful and gracious. He wants all of us. He wants all of us on the altar to present ourselves. And he promises that if we get up on the altar, if we walk in the freedom of surrender, he will unconform and transform us from the inside out. He'll take us out of the cocoons of emotion and circumstantial little cycles, being enslaved by circumstance and our own emotions. And he will transform our attitudes from the inside out. He will like metamorpho. That's the Greek word for transformation, metamorpho. Metamorphosis, he will take us out of the cocoons and set us free like butterflies into a new reality. Raiders, become who you already are in Jesus Christ. What's your part? To present yourself. And what's so amazing about this is it unleashes the spiritual fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It unleashes the nature of Christ. What's crazy is our greatest good this most amazing adventure of surrendering our lives on the altar, this most amazing adventure that has an end goal of literally the promise of God rooted in the fact that he wants to make you look like Jesus, have a nature like Jesus, have a heart like Jesus. This adventure is also God's greatest glory because Romans 12 tells us that as he transforms and unconforms us, it's actually our spiritual act of worship. God gets the glory. We get the good of his nature. Raiders, we got to rebel against the patterns of this world. We got to be rebels that come against our pride, come against our own notions of success, come against our control freak-ish plans. I'm the first to raise my hand. And join the cause, the cause of getting on the altar so that God makes us new and he gets the glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to close with this story. So uh, apparently office humor has trickled its way down to second grade Kinsey Elementary in Sioux Center. Michael Scott, anybody remember the office where he kept saying boom roasted, boom roasted, boom roasted? Okay. So my son, honestly, he and his buddies, the amount of times I was hearing the term boom roasted a month ago, it was like 
Boomer was, was like, okay, guys, seriously. And I, so I had to shake my son's hand, not only for humor's sake, but also for my own sanity, okay? Will, you can only say boom roasted or roasted once a day. Is that okay? Is that all right? And so we shook hands. So he's got a, he's got a quota uh, one, once a day. And the other day, we were watching this, this show called The Chosen. The Chosen, I don't know if anybody's been watching it. It's, it's about Jesus and his disciples. And there was this moment in Chosen where Jesus welcomes Matthew, the tax collector. And if you don't know anything about Matthew, the tax collector, this dude did some terrible stuff, oppressive stuff, corrupt stuff. And yet Jesus invites him to join the movement that Jesus is starting. And everybody in The Chosen was like, are you kidding me? Do you know what this guy's about? You're going to radically invite this guy to join the movement? And Will, watching this with me, he looks at me and he goes, Dad, Jesus just roasted their minds, didn't he? <laughs> uh, a, it was funny. B, so I laughed a little bit. And B, I'm like, Will, you're right. He did roast their minds. I want you to know that God wants to roast your mind. I was like trying to get serious, but uh, for real though, guys, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the labels the world puts on you. It doesn't matter the best deed and best day. It doesn't matter your worst deed or your worst day. Deed, our God is so radical in his welcome. He's so radical to invite us into the freedom and fullness of giving our lives away, our bodies, our somas, all of us. He's so radical in his welcome. It doesn't matter if you're half-hearted, if you're doing the Heisman. It doesn't matter if you're hot-footed. It doesn't matter if you try to get on this altar a thousand times or maybe you never have. He right now, he is a press delete, invite you to the altar again and again and again because scripture says that there are new mercies every day. And so experience the new mercy of God. It is God's mercy that invites us to get on the altar again today. Would you do it, Raiders? Can I get an amen? Let's get Baptists in here. Amen. Get on the altar. It is freedom and fullness. He gets the glory and you get the transformation.